Cobram Estate is the most awarded Australian extra virgin olive oil. Let it be the hero when entertaining family and friends. Cobram Estate extra virgin olive oil is fresh and full of flavour. Perfect for roasting, frying, baking, dressing salads and for dipping bread. Make your food taste even better with a little help from Cobram Estate. Premium quality, great tasting and a versatile healthy alternative. Buy in store at all major retailers. KO's got you covered for this footy season with every game of every round live and ad break free during play. AFL, here we go. Carlton versus Melbourne with no ad breaks during play. That is going to be an absolute banger. Last time these two uh, got together, well, not the last time, when I was there, I kicked three. Freer versus Swans, live with no ad breaks during play, exclusive in Victoria. And the Hawks versus Saints, live with no ad breaks during play, is going to be an absolute blockbuster. It's a must win for both of these teams. And don't forget the NBA playoffs. Gee whiz, they are going off at the moment. So many big games to mention, and they will be absolutely enthralling. Watch every game live with both Eastern and Western conferences live with ESPN on KO. There's absolutely plenty of room for everyone, so get on board with KO. Now also available on Hubble. G'day guys and welcome back to the Dylan Friends podcast. This week, huge guest, but firstly, I just want to say a big, big thank you to all of you of late. It's been absolutely amazing and I'm incredibly overwhelmed at all the love and feedback that you guys have been sending through. This week, as I said, very excited for my guest. He's someone I've been a big fan of since I was back in high school. He's incredibly talented at creating characters and forming impressions. Donald Trump, Gary V, Bear Grylls, Mark Wahlberg and Rafael Nadal, just to name a few. There's many more and some we touch on throughout the show. He's led the way for building a brand as a comedian on social media and doing an incredible job at that. I loved having him on the show for a number of reasons, but more than anything else, he's just a legend of a bloke. He's a very thoughtful person with an interesting perspective of the world of comedy in the 21st century. Also, guys, don't forget, if you're listening in or watching the show and you enjoy the episode, please don't forget to subscribe or follow the podcast. Even better, leave a nice review. Love always. Let's go. Welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast. My name is Deborah, Dylan's mum. Strap yourselves in for some lighthearted and wholesome fun. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Elliot Loney, welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast, my friend. Uh, I have been looking forward to this one for a while. Mate, thanks for having me on, man. Likewise, I've uh, been enjoying the podcast, mate, and I've got to say it's an honor to be here. Oh, thank you very much. That, uh, it means a lot. Now, mate, I'm a big fan of your work, and um, I suppose sometimes what I like to do is, is set the, the scene of how uh, I first became a fan, and it's a funny one because... Look, a lot of people are going to know this, but back in the day um, of school, and I think nearly 99.9% of people would have seen a lot of your content um, on Facebook, impersonations, um, comedic uh, genius, as I would say. But some of the stuff you were doing early days, and especially one that I know uh, you know I love in Mr. Parker, um, that was how I first came to know of Elliot Loney and his impersonations. And guys, for, for anyone who hasn't seen it, we're going to have the links of all this stuff, but... Mate, it's been a pretty crazy ride from from these videos to now turning into you know an up and coming comedian yourself. Um, it, it's it's been crazy. How have you found the process? Oh, mate, that's a, that's a great first question. Um, I tell you what, it's it's um, it's been a wild ride. You know what I mean? Because I guess um, my journey 
wasn't traditional in the sense of um, you know what's what's been the norm for a lot of comedians in the past. Like in terms of um, you know you bring up the nine A's is an interesting uh, point of view because you know that that opened me up to a whole new fan base. But I, you know initially I started with a Bear Grylls impersonation, Man vs Metro, in 2013 which then led me to do stand-up the year after. And then after that, I started, I think it was about, yeah, I think 2015, I started doing those Mr. Parker videos. But um, that got me into a whole new audience of footy um, like-minded people who, you know, love sport and, and all can relate to that, you know, quintessential sports coach, which is uh, Mr. Berg. So um, we, will, we will gauge a lot into, into that later on. But it is funny because, as again, I was doing like thinking about it earlier. And I think... Looking back to social media and, and what it's become, and now there's there's no traditional route in, be, in getting to where you want to be. Um, you would have been nearly up there with with one of the first people to be able to actually successfully start, you know, a career through comedy and social media. Like I, I don't think that anyone sort of had done that prior to you. Is that would you would you think that's something that's what's true? Like was there anyone else doing what you were doing at that time? Yeah, I think back when I first started, so probably like, yeah, about 2013, the only other person I can think of that was sort of um, a pioneer in the space was Alex Williamson, the loosest Aussie bloke. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with his work. A lot, of, a lot of people have seen his stuff over the years. So um, we collabed, I think, mid-2013, just after Man vs. Metro first went viral, and he was the only other person at the time. But now, obviously, um, it's, it's such a loaded space. Like, everyone is trying to, um, you know become a big online entertainer before anything else and back then it was kind of like no one got around it like no one really understood it so it's interesting to see how far it's come yeah and and i suppose going through that obviously doing these online um videos and then the correlation into getting into on actual stage comedy like comedy is one of those things that's look i love it like i absolutely love going to comedy shows it's such an awesome sort of form of escapism being able to watch someone and just laugh and take your mind off things but how was that transition like come about because it's something it's a you know i think of footy right you, you play footy in a team you go into a draft you get drafted to a team and you become a professional with comedy like how does that even occur like obviously you've got to establish your funny um for one then you've got to somehow what just put yourself out there start gigging and then do you just get picked up into some form of I don't know, live stages. Like, I just don't feel like it's such a, a, a clear-cut, like, pathway. It seems like a real hustle career that you've just got to persi- um, persist. Yeah, no, it's true, man. It's it's such a weird, like, sort of um, industry. Like, I mean, there's no real traditional way of going about it um, in terms of, you know, like a linear pathway. Everyone's pathway that you speak to seems to be different. Um but yeah, I mean, look, the, 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 the way that you start out is you've got to go to as many open mics as you can with your first five-minute, three-minute bit and basically just say that as many times as you can until you sort of find your voice. And, you know, the first few gigs, you bomb like unconditionally. You know, it's just, you kind of got to get used to it. And it's, and it's, it's quite, um, you know, um, humiliating, but it's also like you grow from that as well. Like it makes you a better person. Like when you fully tank you know, and you tank hard in front of a lot of people or even if it's like two or three people and you think you're funny, you know, it makes you really <laughs> like, look, look, you know, you've got to look inside yourself. You've got to be like internal and you've got to really like work that out, man. And it's like the journey of every comedian. So that's sort of the, the process. And even the top tier comedians, like the best of the best, you know, they might write jokes that, um, 
you know, they think a killer and even they bomb um, if they're new and they haven't trialed that material before. So there's no real like, you know, you never feel completely safe up there unless you've done the jokes, you know, a hundred or a thousand times to know, to have the confidence in your material to know, okay, I'm going to say this and I know how the audience is going to react. What's that like though with, with bombing? Because it's something that nearly, you know, thinking about it now, it, it can be extremely harsh. Like you said, it's you're on a stage by yourself. People are there, they're expecting gags. And if they don't know you um, and it's early in your career, they don't know what to expect. Like, have you had some of those stages where you've just got up and they've just not gone the way you wanted to? Oh man, absolutely. Like, um, you know, <laughs> Uh, in having said that, like I, sh- I am pretty hard on myself. Like I've always been my own harshest critic. Like I have had gigs where I've done very well, but I've also had my fair share of gigs who like, man, it, like it makes me shudder to think about it. Like some, some gigs I still think about, it gives me the shakes just to like even talk about it. Um, you know, I gigged in front of Julia Gillard when she was the prime minister of Australia and like she was sitting like, you know, only just a few tables away from me and like. Her, like, piercing gaze is, like, cemented in my brain. You know what I mean? Like, I can't, I can't get rid of that. But, um, you know, when you, when you bomb in front of, like, 3,000 people, as I did on, in that particular occasion, you know, that's, um, that is character-building stuff. And, and I think every comedian needs that. Like, you need, you need it in order to be, in, you know, considered good or improved because, you know, if you never bomb, you'll never learn. Yeah, yeah, no, I can definitely vouch for that. I don't think it's in comedy. I think that's just in in life. Jesus, I've uh, I've bombed a lot of times. I've bombed on the MCG in terms of kicked bombs, but I've also bombed out uh, in terms of hitting 45s, missing them and getting subbed off. So I uh, can definitely um, definitely relate to, to that. Something, again, that with, with um, comedy and comedians and putting yourself out there on stage and something that is my highlight and you know you get you get caught in these youtube sort of traps sometimes of just like watching comedian versus heckler um is that actually you know is that like a comedian's worst nightmare do you actually go into into you know shows like planning for that in case something happens have you got like comebacks ready to go have have you experienced it like what how, how can that all all come apart yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, that's a good question, Dill. Because, like, you know, there's a. I feel like there's a fair misunderstanding with the general public on this particular topic. Because everyone's like, "Oh, it'd be so scary to have someone heckle you." Like, what would you do if you're on stage and someone, you know, is interrupting you, yelling out stuff? And I think the thing that to be mindful of is, is something that I, I wish I knew earlier on when I first started out. Is, um, you know, when you're on stage, you hold the power. And most of the time, if people have paid to come and see you or they're there to see you, um, you know, they, they want to see you do well and they want to see you get through your act. So if someone's like, you know, drunk and disorderly and saying some outrageous stuff and, you know, disrupting you, which has happened to me before, you know, sometimes you just get someone who's just out there just to, you know, they think they're being funny, but they, they can't see themselves and they're just saying some crazy stuff. You know, it's important just to realize that, you know, like anything you say in that moment, if you decide to take them on, you're always going to have the upper hand. Um, And like, you know, from my own meandering experience, when I've had a heckler and I've like decided I'm going to tear this bloke to shreds, the audience gets behind me as opposed to if you ignore it and you continue to ignore it, it just becomes a bigger problem. So like you've almost got to tackle it head on unless... You know, it becomes, I mean, I've, I've known comedians who have been bottled before 
and you know obviously in that in in those circumstances you know they'd need to be thrown out of the venue and you have security for those reasons but um you know if they if it's harmless and they're just really drunk you know usually the crowd will will work in your own favor you can get the crowd to shut them up yeah yeah what's what's the australian comedy scene like man like i suppose again it's it's hard to sort of imagine because i think as as a comedian you're not you're a single person so you're like you're by yourself it's not a team like you don't have really anyone else to like probably work with i don't know maybe you do but like when you go to gigs is it like really competitive between comedians like obviously you want to be funnier than the other guy but like what i'm what i probably mean is like is is it a competitive scene like are there people in in comedy there's obviously going to be good ones but is there ones as well that aren't so great hundred percent mate yeah that's 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 another great observation deal i mean like there are there are definitely guys out there that i think have the wrong mentality when it comes to like comedy as a whole like the way that i see it is like i see it as like we're a pretty small niche industry of people and i think like you know one person's success isn't necessarily going to take away from another person's success like everyone's success at the end of the day is good for comedy so um, there are people out there that I think like will talk behind other people's backs or put another comedian down for not doing well. And I'm just not about that, man. Like I hate that, you know, like mm. I'm the first person to get around someone when they bomb or the first person to like, you know, try and help someone who's just starting out because like I know what that's like. And I think it's important to try and, you know, foster and, and nurture that, that, um, that skill because a lot of people don't really have the courage to get out there. And, you know, we want comedy to be, th- to be thriving in Australia and in the world. And, um, you know, if people are creating this toxic environment where they're talking behind other people's backs and having a go at people for having a crack, I mean, I'm not about that, you know, like you have to have a crack to start and be good. And, um, yeah, it's a shame there are people out there like that in the comedy space, but most of the people that I hang out with, most of the people that I've met through comedy, um, they're really good people, man. Um, they're some of the best people you'll meet, but there are a few shockers like any industry or any any sporting club. There's always a couple of shockers. <laughs> yeah, there is. It's um, That comes a part of the parcel. Mate, something else with comedy that I suppose has been made super hard these days and um, and it's interesting to get your opinion on this because obviously you're the master at it, but political correctness is something that um, in a way I don't know, but I think like it actually can be not ruining comedy, but it can be making it very hard to probably get um, some jokes across. Like how have you found that in the comedy scene these days? Like, is there things that now you, you can't even really joke about um, on stage or, and if you do like what happens, like is you know, the risk of offending someone or offending, you know, a certain organisation, like it, it must be hard to sort of find the balance of saying something funny but also be in the same, you know, not too offensive. Like is that something that happens? Man, this is this is something that I'm like so passionate about and I've got to be super careful about what I say, especially in this, <laughs> in this climate. But um, I think recently I've been delving into this a lot more because I've faced a lot of problems with applying for funding for my animation, the prestigious nine A's, which you, you obviously touched on earlier. Yeah. And I think the thing that tipped me over the edge is when I recently went in to apply for funding, the only reason they could give me for not giving me the money to make the animation for development funding was you're doing an impersonation of Raphael Nadal and that's racist. And when I heard that, I was like, wow, that's, that's, 
okay? And, you know, this person was saying, that's problematic, that's racist, you know, go back, revisit it, sort it out. And I sort of like hung up the phone and I was just thinking about that and I sat on that for a while. And then I started to think, I was like, man, Raphael Nadal has seen my impersonation of him. Like he, I know for a fact that he laughs at it. Like I know for a fact that he sits with his teammates and he's like members of his team, like Uncle Tony and stuff, and they watch it and they laugh. So if he's not offended by it, why would someone who works in this bureaucracy take the liberty upon themselves to deem that as offensive when the actual individual that I'm parodying doesn't find any offense in it whatsoever? And I think that's where it's lost, you know, it's lost a little bit of something for me because it's like, you know, you can't even be offensive in the pursuit of being inoffensive anymore. Uh, and I think that's that's something that I'm really starting to realize and I think it's important for a lot of comedians to understand that you know some progressiveness is a good thing but intent is the most important thing and if that gets lost um, you know then it's difficult to find what the line is and how to cross it in the pursuit of being humorous the last thing that I'll say on that is like a lot of the comedians that I look up to Jerry Seinfeld Chris Rock um, you know even Stephen Fry recently has come out to talk about it he's a very smart guy like you know, a lot of these people, they're not in America, you know, these American comics, they're, they're no longer doing college campuses because they're the, of the fear of political correctness. And I think that's sad because, you know, they 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 don't want to perform for, for the colleges anymore because they're too scared of, of being labeled as, you know, a whole host of different things. And, um, you know, I think it was George Carlin that said, you know, comedy is often finding what the line is and then deliberately crossing it. Now, I understand that progressiveness is obviously going to change and contend with, you know, different issues that will emerge in the future and stuff like that. But you know what I mean? Like it, it, it seems to be at absurdum when, you know, someone is just telling me, oh, you can't impersonate Rafael Nadal anymore, man. Like that's just racist. You know what I mean? Well, okay. When, when is it going to be not like, will it be not okay for me to impersonate Bear Grylls or, you know, like, Morgan Freeman or like, you know, what's okay, what isn't? Like, it's like, you know, it, it's just becoming really confusing and convoluted and it's it's hard being a comedian, you know? Like, all, I'm, all we're trying to do is make people laugh and, you know, I think, um, yeah, for me, it, it, it's, um, I'm, I don't know, I'm frightened. I'm frightened of what it might do to comedy in the long term. It, it, is, a, it is a hard one, but yeah, bloody hell, I don't, I don't envy um, comedians in that aspect because it is such a hard... Uh, industry to be able to find a, a good balance of, of what you can and can't really do and, and touch on. Absolutely. Yeah, and increasingly more so. So it's, um, yeah, it's a really difficult one to, to answer because, you know, as we, as we said earlier, you know, there are a lot of things um, that I think are, are really great. Like not all political correctness is bad, but I think, you know, um, there is a line and it's difficult to define what the line is. Um, we touched on Rafa just in that, and that is something where you, you are very well known for, and also your work with the Australian Open. Um, you're very good mates with um, Tanasi Kokonakis and uh, Nick Kyrgios as well, who you've, uh, you've you know, been able to form some really good relationships with in tennis. You were actually quite the player, I've heard yourself. Oh, yeah, probably. Did I tell you that? Um. Yeah, you did. You, you said, I'm not coming on unless you mention this. <laughs> Um, yeah, like, like, look, man, like tennis without a doubt was my first love. And like, I often, I genuinely believe that it saved my life because, you know, from the age, I think to the age of about 10, I was a massive gimp, mate. Like 
I just I didn't play any sport. Like I wasn't interested in it. You know, like I just didn't it just didn't tickle my fancy at all. And then I remember the fir- from the first day I picked up my first tennis racket. I started quite late. I think it was about ten, and I just fell in love with the sport, man. And like from there, it sort of enabled me to to start pursuing other sports as well. And I became like really disciplined. And it was the first thing that I loved and like couldn't wait to do when the when the school bell rang. You know, I just wanted to hit the tennis court and play. And then, you know, I started playing a bit of footy and like a bit of hockey and like a whole bunch of different sports, like even dabbled in a bit of cricket. And, you know, all those things I wouldn't have done if it wasn't for, you know, picking up my first tennis racket. So, um, yeah, I'm really thankful for that. And, um, yeah, I got to play at like a pretty good junior level. Um, I never got the elusive ATP point that would class me as a professional, but I did beat some guys who went on to play at professional level and beat a few guys with ATP points. So, um, but yeah, I wasn't uh, anywhere near as talented as some of the guys you mentioned before, like Kokonakis or Kyrgios, but obviously I keep close tabs on the sport and I'm still very passionate about it for sure. Man, it's, it's a funny one, tennis, isn't it? Because it's, it's such a big game in Australia at the, you know, at the right time of year. Obviously, Australian Open time, it just is... Everyone goes out. Tennis courts are booked everywhere. Everyone wants to play. Everyone loves it. But it also has a bit of a, a like I feel a little bit of a stigma to it of just, you know, the, the people involved sometimes. Um, it doesn't feel like everyone's on the same page. Like it's very separate and, and guys like that. And I know it'd be good to get your opinion on this because you're really good mates with with these guys, obviously, like Kyrgios, who's obviously divi- like he's, he's dividing in the public, but... What he's like as a bloke, and I've had the pleasure of listening to your podcast, Elliot Lonely podcast. Everyone listening on um, on uh, YouTube and on Wooshka, and where else is it? Everywhere else? Oh yeah, Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff. Yeah, Thanks okay. for the well, Make sure you, make sure you tune into that and listen to this episode because Curious Man, I am so, so obsessed with with him, and I've always wanted to chat with him about his persona because he just doesn't care. Like I feel like I don't know this, but I just feel like he just does not give a shit about anything. But you know, you know what he's doing, and and he doesn't like sort of let the outside noise really, really get in. But what's he like as a dude? What's he like as a as an actual bloke? Man, he's such a nice guy. I think like you know the media misconstrued Nick a lot, or have misquoted him. I feel in the past, um, like obviously there's some things that he's done that have been controversial, and he'll be the first to you know take ownership of some of the things that he's done in the past. But you know once once you get to know him, and once he des- decides to let you into the fold, so to speak. Um, I've, I've never had a, an issue with him ever. He's never, he's never been anything but super kind and super generous to me. And like a lot of the people that we've, we've hung out with, um, and people that even I've introduced to the group, you know, like some of my mates have been like, Nick, this is so-and-so. And, you know, because he knows that I'm mates with them, he'll full get around them, you know, like, he's just like, he's such a good guy, man. And like, it's, it's a sort of a shame because I feel like it, it's, um, I've seen what he has to deal with and like sort of the level of fame that he's attained and like, you know, it, it must be hard for the bloke, man. But like, you know, at the end of the day, like he's just a, a good human being. Like I've seen him do some great things and, um, you know, I'm just like, why isn't this publicized more? You know what I mean? Like yeah, what I'm seeing yeah. right now, like this, this should be what the media is talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. And it's funny though, because I actually think that he has sort of divided, you know, people uh, good and bad. But I think that he's, well, especially of late because he is a superstar. I love it watching him play, like no matter what. Like it, it I don't really, the, the, the other stuff, like he, he puts bums on seats. Like it, you can't say when Kyrgios is watching, you, you want to watch him. Like he's Absolutely. special. Like he's so good to watch. The, the personality also as well, the unpredictability of not knowing what he's going to do. 
Um, I think he's a superstar, man. And as I said, we just need to embrace it um, for what he is because he's doing good things for the sport. And in a sport like tennis where it's probably not as dominated as, as you know, AFL or, or soccer or rugby, like he's, you know, probably inspiring that many kids to get involved. Well, you know, it's interesting you saying that because, you know, I know that he is a polarizing guy and, and you know, you flag that. But, he yeah, as you said, you, you can't not watch him. Like he's so magnanimous you just look at him on the screen you're like wow i just want to see what happens what's he going to do you don't know if he's going to go out there and break 12 rackets or go out there and play some of the best tennis you've ever seen and like you know this is coming from non-biased not not just because i'm made to them and i really like nick but i actually have come to realize and genuinely believe he might just be the most naturally talented tennis player i've ever seen um and you know i've i've seen him do stuff on a tennis court where i'm just kind of like that it just defies physics. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's he is a freak of nature, mm. um, and so yeah, it's it's I, I, it doesn't surprise me that he gets so many views and people want to tune in to watch him play because he is he's just box office. No, it's good, man. Uh, look, massively into your career um, is comedy and it is stand up, but the, the other side of it as well is the impersonations, and that's like to be honest, man. Um, you know, and we got in contact about nearly a month ago now and I knew I knew you did like you know Rafael Nadal and, and a few tennis guys um, and girls and and whatnot but I didn't actually realize how good this was like it's actually incredible and I don't want to say it's a talent well it is a talent but I don't want to say I hate saying that it's talent because I, I can imagine it's not just talent that goes into this like does how much work goes into developing a one of these voices because just for example I'm going to read out like there's there's a list of about fifty of them here. I won't read them all out, but some of my famous uh, favorites, obviously Bear Grylls, Morgan Freeman, Mark Wahlberg, Husey, um, Donald Trump, Gary V, who is great. Um, obviously Bruce McAvaney. Like man, there's that many there, and they're all so different. Like how much work goes into that, bro? Yeah, I think some impersonations are definitely more intuitive than others. Like some voices, you know. For example, I remember the first time I saw Bear Grylls, I was sitting on the couch with my mate and, you know, I just like watched the TV and then like, I was just like, oh, you know, I'm Bear Grylls. And right now I was like, wow, I can actually talk like Bear. Like, it's actually there. I didn't even realize, but, you know, I can speak like Bear Grylls. You know, like sometimes you just turn on the TV and it's just there. It's weird. But other times, you know, I have to work on a little bit. For example, Donald Trump, you just brought Donald Trump up before. Um, the first few times I did Donald wasn't great. And then after a while, I started to get, you know, Donald has a little bit of raspiness in his voice. You know, <laughs> that's Donald Trump, the greatest president. You know, when you can get that raspiness, you can get a little bit of Donald. And you know you got Donald when you got that raspy Trump. You know, there's certain nuances, certain intricacies <laughs> yeah. to each voice yeah. that only get better through practice and time. Um, but yeah. the, the my rule is if I can get it somewhat close in the first like two or three attempts, then I know that I can refine it. But if I can't get it close in the first two or three attempts, there's no point in me even trying to refine it because I've never been able to do that. It's funny, isn't it? Because like, you know, we were chatting off air about this, but things like Donald Trump and one of my favorites, like Gary V, like they're so different. And then there's other ones that you just, and, and you nail those two. But then there's other ones that you just cannot hit at all. So, like, it's so funny that there's, like, you can absolutely nail two of them, but then there's some that just aren't, like, there. Like, it, it's it's crazy how you can, you can 
just be so different? Yeah, it's weird, man. Like, I think in terms of like a lot of impersonators, I've seen like other impersonators. Most of them are overseas. There's not too many of us here in, mm. in Australia, which is kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I might actually be the only one. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting, man. Because like, you know, there's some impersonators, like pretty much all of them can do like a Robert De Niro, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Um, you know, they're like the staple impersonation, Sylvester Stallone. But I can't do any of those. Um, no matter how hard I try and just about any impersonator can every impersonator even like drunk blokes you meet at the pub you know yeah, what I mean yeah, so yeah. it's like it's funny that I can't get close to that but I can do like you know as you said Morgan Freeman and then Elmo which is like the two most different voices you could ever <laughs> you know so which ones um, which ones would be your favourite to perform and, and, and your highest quality ones that you love you love bringing out oh man uh well, you know, obviously, like, been a day of Hughes, yeah, Hughes is outrageous, because he's got the face as well, yeah, Hughes' eyes pop out, you know, he's a ridiculous unit, he's got big, boggly eyes like you, you know what I mean? Like, those eyes just pop out, don't they, yeah? <laughs> Dylan Friends, what an outrageous show, yeah? Uh, so, you know, obviously, Hughes is, <laughs> Hughes is not that a bad one. one. so, uh, like, I actually can't even tell the difference there at all, like, that is <laughs> Yeah, I remember I uh, busted it out for Husey once. He's like, that sounds something like me. Um, it's not bad, but it doesn't sound anything like me, does it? Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's that. But um trying to think what else. Um, yeah, like Morgan Freeman. Um, you know, I might need to get close to the microphone here, but, you know, sometimes I bring my voice down like this and I'll talk like Morgan Freeman. And, you know, I love talking like Morgan Freeman because... Morgan Freeman has a truly magnanimous voice. Reminds me of Shawshank Redemption and my friend, Andy Dufresne. Listen to the Dylan Friends podcast, the number one podcast in the whole of the world. There you go. So, you know, there's... there's it's, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah, there's, there's like a few different ones. Um, but yeah, I think those two I really enjoyed doing. But yeah, obviously like Rafa and all the tennis ones and stuff like that and the ones that I'm probably most known for. But... Uh, yeah, you know, there's a big contrast. There's actually a big impression reel on YouTube if you listeners or viewers yes, are interested yes, in checking Elliot, it out. Elliot Loney uh, on YouTube, which we'll have the we'll have the link of that in the show notes as well, guys. It's unbelievable. It's it's mate, you've got a massive um the beautiful thing about your your caper is it's so international. Like you've got a massive um scope for it, you know, like it's you've got an incredible base and your videos are doing absolutely killing it on your YouTube page, which is which is awesome. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I think it's like consistency for YouTube people, um, you know, out there. If there's anyone out there aspiring to get amongst it on the in the community, the th- one thing that I've found and the one thing I've noticed with all my peers who are doing really well on YouTube um, is yeah, consistency. And that's probably something that I've lacked. So I'm trying to get better at that. Just mm. being super consistent, you know, video or two a week is is the key to building the audience, which I'm sure you know as well. Uh, no, not really. Um, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> Come um, <laughs> when, when, um, mate, this is just going back a little bit. Was there a moment like early days that you realized that this was something that you were good at impersonating? Like, is this something you realized when you're at school, like, or, you know, you're a kid, were you impersonating teachers? Like, did you get yourself into trouble? Um, has it come into favor at any stage? Like, what, is there anything there that's really been a time where this has come in useful? All the time, man. Uh, like, and you know, it's definitely come in useful. But uh, you know, going back to what you were saying just now, like, 
uh, as a kid, I've always sort of been able to do this and I've always been able to manipulate my voice and like, you know, just kind of um, impersonate different people, whether it be celebrities or like classmates or like, you know, um, like there's a, there's like an infamous story uh, within my friendship group of, um, I had a mate and in year eight, he was dating this girl and uh, he was too afraid to break up with her. He couldn't actually do it. So I could do a ripping impersonation of this bloke. So I actually called his miso at the time and uh, broke up with her as him. <laughs> so he didn't have to do the he didn't have to do the. <laughs> but then he then he decided he didn't want to break up with her. So he called her back and had to convince her that he wanted her back, but she didn't believe him because she was like, a, you know, a typical year eight relationship. I think they've been dating for about two and a half weeks. Yeah, but probably hadn't spoken in person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um and uh, you know he was distraught i don't think he spoke to me for about a week but he commissioned me for the contract like he said do it you know what i mean i think he gave me a free sandwich or something um and uh <laughs> or a sausage roll from the yeah. tucky you know but um yeah like that stuff like that you know i've been doing it for for years you know just like silly things prank calls in high school all that kind of stuff i was a bit of a mischief maker i used to take the piss and um you know use use this uh, skill set for the greater good, so to speak. KO's got you covered for this footy season with every game of every round live and ad break free during play. AFL, here we go. Carlton versus Melbourne with no ad breaks during play. That is going to be an absolute banger. Last time these two uh, got together, well, not the last time, when I was there, I kicked three. Freo versus Swans, live with no ad breaks during play, exclusive in Victoria. And the Hawks versus Saints, live with no ad breaks during play, is going to be an absolute blockbuster. It's a must win for both of these teams. And don't forget the NBA playoffs. Gee whiz, they are going off at the moment. So many big games to mention, and they will be absolutely enthralling. Watch every game live with both Eastern and Western conferences live with ESPN on KO. There's absolutely plenty of room for everyone, so get on board with KO. Now also available on Hubble. Mate, um, I want to put you to the test because there's two impersonations that I love and there's two of my mates that I need to send messages to. Um, we won't call them, but they will be tuning into this podcast because uh, they always do and I hope they, they will and they love you more than they love me. But I think Daniel Gorringe is one of those people. Uh, Dan... As as we know, he's a good friend of the show. He he struggled. He played a lot of thirds footy. And what I was thinking is Mr. Parker, who is one of my favourite characters of yourself, um, we can call up Dan and offer him a, a contract in the prestigious 9As and how that yeah. would sort of go about. But firstly, before we get into that, I want to sort of set the scene. And, and there is a funny bit of a backstory and context to Mr. Parker, um, who he is, because... The reason I love this is because we've all had a coach, whether it be playing footy, netball, cricket, that is Mr. Parker. And we can relate to everything he says and how serious he takes the nine A's. Absolutely. So you want, you want, me, you want me to do it now? Are we calling him right now? No, I, I want you to explain who Mr. Parker is first. And then what we'll do is just, if you were going to be speaking to Goz and offering him the contract... <laughs> Okay, gotcha. I was, I was getting worried. I was like, does he have to cut? It's like the Hulk in Avengers, you know, yeah. what, I, you know what I mean? i got to, like, get myself ready. I'm like, far out, mate. Do I take the serum now? Like, does someone have to hit me in the face? Like, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, so um, Mr. Parker, like, a lot of people have asked me, you know, like, what what's the inspiration behind Mr. Parker? Surely he's this bloke or surely he's based on this bloke. But I think he's just, like, a, a mesh of all the different kind of psycho sports um, coaches that I've seen throughout my adolescence you know what i mean like there's just there's just so many nut job 
you know, coaches in sport, especially school sport. And like, you know, upon reflection, when I think back to it, I was, I just kind of, because, you know, as you get older, you start to realize certain things that you didn't, maybe didn't necessarily think about at all when you were a kid. And, yeah. you know, it's not helped by the fact we're in isolation now. I'm thinking about some weird things in those showers in the morning, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, like, I was just kind of casting my mind back and going, like, Jesus, like, I copped a spray in, like, eight C's footy from that bloke. But, like, <laughs> why? Like, fucking hell, mate. Like, I'm clearly not good at football. I clearly can't kick over a jam tin. You know I shirt contests. I'm I like, don't even want to be here. I don't even want to be there, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Like, I'd rather be sleeping in, like... Why are you so enthusiastic about it? But for him, in that moment, it was like a grand final, you know, with like 150,000 people at the MCG. So it was just like, I don't know, man. It's so weird that like um, they take it so seriously. And like there are characters like that. And I think that's where the absurdism lies. Like it's like, you know, that's what's so funny about it. It's the prestigious nine A's. But like to this particular bloke, to Mr. Parker, you know, it's the most important thing in his entire world. Like that's all that matters to him. Nothing matters apart from. The and nothing. he was he was a club hero himself, wasn't he? He was a, a yeah. reigning best and fairest winner at the Gundy Jundarup Galars. Yeah. yeah. So there's a bit of a backstory there. I've written a production document for each of the characters, um, and uh, yeah, he never once shirked a contest. Um, <laughs> Severely hampered by rapidly deteriorating knees, he he put he pulled out one last ma- massive like you know Herculean effort. I think he he amassed like I think forty three disposals in a half, running off the halfback flank. You know it was it was uh, unheard of stuff. So you know he um, he's he's a ridiculous unit. Um, so if, if Mister Parker wanted Dan um, in the nine A's, where I think. To be honest, I'm not even sure if Goz would get a game in the 9As, but if he did, he's a, he's a big busting bloke. I want you to give a Mr. Parker pitch to Dan to come down and play with the prestigious 9As. All right, I might need to stand up in this moment. Mr. Parker! I don't even imagine. You probably... Actually, maybe I'll just sit back there. I don't know why I did that. Basically, if Dan Gorridge was standing in front of Mr. Parker, I'd imagine it would go something like this. Look at that big spaghetti noodle beanpo, Daniel Gorringe. Oh, yeah, I know he's been on Big Brother, but I know he loves his footy. I like the way he goes about. He's got a powerful big physique, and he loves getting his ass out on Instagram, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, he does. Powerful gluteus maximus with big deltoids, powerful serratus anterior, and juicy biceps. Dan Gorringe, how would you like to play for the prestigious Nornos, you alpaca thoroughbred psycho-wrecking ball of pure malice intent? Yeah! Now get in the freckle now and fuck some kids up, you big psycho! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> and then I imagine he would say something like, you know, mate, I'm I'm a fully grown man. I I can't I can't get in there with a bunch of, you know, 11, 12, 13 year old kids. I don't give a fuck, Dan. Does it look like I give a shit? Get out there and fuck things up, mate. <laughs> What do I get for it though, mate? Like, what do I actually get for doing this? You haven't offered me anything. I've offered you glory. I've offered you new and a prestigious fucking premiership glory. 
shit. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, to be honest, I think um, you know, not to be to me uh, cruel on Dan, but that would probably be the highlight of his career anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> so well done. Um, well done. Look um, again, he'll hear that and he'll want to get in touch. Um, great. The, the last one that I want to try with this is we've all got a mate that we love and we love him to death. But as much as we love him, we also just want to beat the shit out of him. And they're those, you know, those blokes that you love them, but if they weren't your mate, you'd just want to bash them, like that, that, those, those sort of friends. Um, Tommy Sheridan is, is that one of mine, uh, one of my best mates, but I'd love to just lay one on his chin. <laughs> so basically this one, I want, if possible, to line up a Conor McGregor and, and what he'd do to Tommy Sheridan in the octagon. Of course, of course. Well, I'd imagine if Conor McGregor was going to size up Tommy Sheridan, he'd probably say something like this. <clears throat> uh, you know, as far as one concerned, you know, uh, Tommy Sheridan is stuck in a mood, you know. He's a fucking Luna Park looking, uh, <laughs> fucked up looking goober, you know what I mean? Like, he is just asking to have his fucking big chompers knocked out and... I don't care where we fight, you know, I will fight him in a decahedron, I will fight him in a square, I will fight him in a fucking triangle or an oblong, I, I don't give a fuck, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I will knock him out any day in any arena, you just named a word, because, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he is a fucking lantern, not too bright and need to be carried, you know, and at the end of the day, I'm going to knock him out with my left hand, and he's going to hit the deck, and... He will not wake up, and, and a lot of people will thank me because of the, the amount of shit that comes out of his mouth. At least I will be able to shut him the fuck up for a little while. And I can see you smiling because I know you want to shut him up because uh, he's a fucking dick. And I'm going to knock some sense into his fucking tiny little school. And when he wakes up, he will not have any brain cells left, and, and that's it. Oh, God, that, that one brought me a lot of joy, um, and I'd love to see that. So thank you. So much. Gee whiz. He's going to love that too. Because in all honesty, Tommy couldn't fight his way out of a wet paper bag. Um, not that that's important because we don't uh, condone fighting, but thank you, Connor, for that. Um, mate, on the more... Geez, I'm struggling to, to transition from these two topics, to be honest. But on, on the more... And well done. Um, in the more serious side of, of comedy, and I've spoken about this a fair bit in terms of my journey I suppose in terms of like footy um, and person and you know your professional um, like you know your work life versus who you are and, and separating the pers- the person versus a persona um, and I think as a as a comedian that could really be up there with one of the hardest things because uh, when you when you see a comedian they're always up and about they're happy they're you know going off it, off their tree and, and laughing and and when people would meet you in real life they'd expect you to just be as high as energy and telling jokes as what they are um how have you gone on a professional level of being able to separate you as like Elliot Loney as a comedian versus Elliot Loney as a person man that's a, that's a great question Dill uh and it's a it's a really difficult one to answer because I don't think that I've actually dealt with it too well in terms of like, there's been times where, you know, you, I've been traveling and I've done a few gigs and stuff and I've had a few late nights and it's a really strange feeling. It's hard to like sort of summarize, you know what I mean? Because you, you're doing these gigs, you're performing in front of all these people. It's like that instant gratification, you know, you're touching them, you feel like you're having an impact, but you know, then you go home and like, you know, you don't necessarily meet these people. They're kind of faceless in a way. And like, 
it's a strange feeling because there's a great high when you're on stage and then when you go like there's like this empty void feeling um when you go home and you're just like you know sitting on the hotel bed and just like looking at the clock you're like well what do i do now it's it's a strange feeling i can't summarize it but it's 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 a very lonely existence but i think one of the coping mechanisms that's helped me is because i played so much tennis as a kid and as a as a young bloke growing up um I had that individualism sort of figured out in in a way. Like I was used to that sort of nomadic lifestyle of traveling, being in hotels, traveling solo, not really having a team around me and figuring out how to bring myself up. But um, in having said that, it also helps having like 55, 60 alter egos that I can chat to when the, when the chips are down, uh, just in the, uh, in the hotel room. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely really difficult. But I think the thing that helps is just, um, you know, try and be active. I've led an active lifestyle. Like usually when something like that happens, I'll just go for a run or like just try and do something to take my mind off it because, you know, you can feel the demons, man. You can feel the demons. Like I've been in times where like I've been sitting in the hotel room after a gig and I'm just like far out. Like I can feel the inner golem, you know, like, like I'm rocking mm. back and forth. I'm like, fuck what's happening to me. And like, I, so I can understand why so many comedians, you know, do, you know, face depression at some point in their lives. Cause it's, it's, it's hard, man. Like it's, it's, it's a weird thing to describe and it's, unless you've done comedy and unless you've, you've felt that feeling, it's a really difficult one to sort of, explain i mean i don't think i've done a very good job explaining it myself but it's it's very hard to 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 talk about it's do you um ever think much about your impact that you can have on someone like is that something that gives you massive like gratification in terms of like being a a comedian and being yourself like you you know you, you do these skits and you do these these performances where someone can be having, you know, one of the worst days of all time, they chuck on one of your videos for, you know, X amount of time and it can change their mood and it can change their outlook on things. Is that something that, like, you actually think about? Yeah, man. To be honest with you, that's the probably your only reason why I haven't quit. Like, in terms of there's been times where, like, the chips have been down and, like, I have, I've been like, what am I doing? Like, a, you know what I mean? Like, there's... You know, the, the the thing that I struggle with the most with the comedy thing is like, you know, the money's not consistent. It's like, you know, it's hard to sort of know where your next paycheck's coming from, especially someone like myself who does a lot of corporate work through the impersonations um, because when it rains, it pours, but then you have like months where you're probably not doing much. So, um, you know, when the chips are down, you're not getting much work or things aren't happening. It's kind of like, what am I doing? Like, I'm better off just doing a trade or getting a desk job or just like working a nine to five, like having some stability but then when, you know, I get messages from people literally talking about some of the stuff you you've just referenced, like they'll be saying stuff like, man, I'm going through a really dark time. So and so, such and such has just happened in my life. You know, even some people message me saying stuff like on my Facebook page or Instagram, like I was thinking about ending my life, man. And like, you know, I'm genuinely, and they'll be like, mate, your videos like, you know, have like over the years when I've been in my darkest times have like helped me laugh when, you know, things weren't going well for me. And, like, when I hear that and see that, man, like, honestly, like, it almost makes me cry, bro, because that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like, I love that stuff. I want to... It's always been what I love to do. I love making people laugh. I love making people happy. Mm. And um, it's a coping mechanism for me, but it's also a coping mechanism for so many others that I don't think that I really understood until quite recently. 
And then I was like, hey, I'm actually not just doing this for myself. I'm doing this for people out there who actually, you know, it genuinely makes an impact in their life so much so that they can message me and say stuff like that. Um, so yeah, you know, I've been doing this for a long time now and I can see the effect it's had on some people and for some people, even just a small thing like that, like a, you know, two minute video or one minute video of doing me doing something outrageous can make their day. So, you know, that's, that's pretty cool, powerful stuff. Oh, mate, I I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, as you said, you you don't start these things to do that. Like if I look at the podcast now and, and, and how it all, all came apart, how it all came about, but um, yeah, especially like of late, um, it's really solidified my purpose in terms of, yeah, I'm doing this for a, a career. And like you said, it, it's not a career where you're going to be making millions of dollars, but there's been times where like I have not wanted to do an episode. I've just been so, so busy and just been like, man, I just can't this week. Like I'm so flat out. Like I just can't do it. I can't do it. And then like I'll get a message from someone on Instagram and they're like, oh man, you know, I had the worst week. Um, just like makes my day on a Tuesday when like you drop your podcast and I was just like, fuck, I can't not do it now. Like I've got to go and like, I've got to do it because like, yeah, it, when it, when it becomes like not about you and it's about like, if you can have some impact on other people, I think that that's like the most special thing. And, and I know I alluded to this a lot and, and I know you listened to the, the episode with Ben Crow, but we spoke about, you know, that sort of third stage where you can get to and when you can think about other, you know, people and having impact on them and, Man, like, look, I'm not saying this in a negative way, but, like, we're nothing special. Like, we're literally just fucking just normal blokes, like, literally just having a chat. But, you know, I, I and you've had some incredible emails, but, like, and I, I had an email from a mum um, last week and it, fuck, like, it actually rocked me. Like, I just could not, like, fathom, like, that, you know, she, she I, I don't want to say, you know, what was in it, but like basically just explained that the messages that, you know, were coming through that she was, you know, been trying to teach like her family and, and someone had passed this on to her that they probably needed to hear it. And, oh man, just like, the, the, you know, like to think that, to think that someone is actually benefiting from something that you can do is like, you can't buy that. Like that's just... Like you can't, you know, that that's the, the probably the best feeling I've ever had, like, in my life. Yeah, it's powerful, man, isn't it? And, like, it's interesting, man. Like, I'm sure that, you know, you would have experienced it because obviously your podcast has become so successful as well. Like, you touch so many people and you don't even consider it. You don't even think about it. Like, it's almost like an afterthought. You put it up and you're like, yeah, I'm going to put this up. You know what I mean? And, like, it, it just goes to show the power of online as well and, like, how strong digital media is becoming and how influential it is to so many people because it's so accessible and um you know i don't want to push you even though i'm intrigued to find out you know what was the content of that email but i'm sure you know whatever it was you know it must have held a lot of weight and it must have made you think like surely you would have gone wow like maybe you hadn't factored that in before Mm. and that's kind of similar to what what happened with me with when i get messages like that i kind of go wow you don't even think about that kind of stuff it's like a complete afterthought no, you don't. And I think it's funny because like um, even after that, I thought, oh, I've got to do more of that. And then I thought, no, 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 like you don't have to – like what, you know, you're doing right now is that's what you're doing and that's what you – like what I am doing. Like what I'm doing, I'm doing because I, I love it. Like you don't have to change what you're doing. I think that's why people respect things the most is because 
you're just doing what you do. You're not trying to please someone else, but in some way someone can relate to it and learn from it. And that's why I love, you know, talking to people like yourself, man, that have like incredible drive and it hasn't always been easy um, to, to get to where they want to be. But like, I know for a fact that you're going to get there because you've got, you've got the drive, you've got the talent. But um, I think, as you said, man, you've got the life lessons and, and you're not doing it. I think when you do something for not money, like the money will come eventually, but like the impact is is the real thing that actually is is keeps you like keeps you going with it. I think um, long term for sure. But even on this man, like what would what would be some of those like you know life lessons is a is a strong word, and we're two just as I said everyday blokes. Um, I fucking realistically in the scheme of life, I've done absolutely nothing, but I love having conversations and learning from mistakes. Like what would be some of your life lessons that you've, you've learned along the journey? I think, yeah, like it's important to have like um, humility and perspective, I think on a lot of things, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's one of the great things that comedy can teach you. It's like, um, you know, it help. it almost helps keep your ego in check, especially if you're writing a lot of new material and going to bars and, you know, bombing and trying new stuff because it it makes you realize like you know it's not not bad to fail but it's also essential and like you know it's it's part of growth and it's part of like who you are so i think like not being afraid to try new things um fear you know holds so many people back and i think there's so many people watching and listening this who like probably have something that they've always wanted to do but have been too scared to do it You've just got to back yourself oh, and yeah. just know that like it's it's a process type kind of thing. And it's like, you know, you you don't have to be good to start, but you have to start to be good. Oh, it's wow. like, you, you know what I mean? Like you have to, you have to go out there and, and do it. Mm. So I think just having a crack is, is something that I've learned to be one of the most important things that you could do because fear holds like everyone back, I think. Or a lot of people back. Hundred percent, man. I think. Um, oh, look, I always stuff these quotes up. But I was listening to something Jim Carrey said. Uh, you know, on a video. I don't know Jim Carrey personally. Um, before <laughs> I, like, this was just in, in, a, in an interview, and he said that, like, in his career, his dad um, was like really funny, and he was a comedian. And he said something like, you know, his dad always um, he didn't didn't do comedy because he wanted. He was too scared to fail at it, so he became an accountant and then basically, you know, had this long career and then got sacked and went bankrupt or something like that. And Jim Carrey goes, he's like, well, why would you fail at something you don't want to do when you can fail at something you do want to do and at least have a crack at it, like, in the first time? So true, yeah. And I was just like, fuck, that's so true, man. Like, you can fail at anything, but, like, why wouldn't you just try and fail at the one thing you're going to do because... The odds are, man, if you do it with conviction, you're probably not going to fail and if you want to do it. 100%, man. And like, even if you do, you'll feel better for it. Do you know what I mean? Like, even if you do it, at least you can go, all right, I gave that a crack and I gave it everything that I could. And you know, like, I think you regret the things you don't do rather than the things that you at least try to do. You Mm. know what I mean? Mm. Like, you've got to go out there and, and just like have a crack because then even if no one else gives you the recognition or or things that you were initially after, you'll be proud of yourself. Love it. Love that. Um, mate, what's what's next for, for Elliot Loney? Like, you know, obviously 
big things on the horizon, man. Like you've got some big plans. Um, you alluded to before, but I think it'd be worth touching on a little bit more that the animated series that I really want you to to get going with because that is going to be a massive um, a massive win. Um, maybe a bit of context on that would be, would be cool. And then obviously you got your podcast as well, the Elliot Lonely podcast, which which we spoke about. Um, as soon as COVID's done, there's going to be more um, comedy shows and gigs that we're actually going to be allowed to go out and watch. But what's what's next for you, man? What's goals? Where do you want to get to? I think like re- I've realised more recently now that like although I do like doing stand up, and I think it's going to be something that I'll continue to pursue and and try to better myself at and hone my craft because it's just something I'm interested in. Um, I think in a perfect world, like I want to sort of align myself with you know the likes of Seth MacFarlane um, in and uh, Trey Parker, Matt Stone, you know, the guys that created these vehicles that enabled them to, like, drive their success kind of thing, if that makes sense. Um, So, like, rather than be the Elliot Loney, which would be great, don't get me wrong, like, I'd rather have something that I've put my heart and soul into, something really, like, really well-written, well-put-together that I can then, you know, ride as, like, a, you know... I guess like use that to spearhead my own success yeah. kind of thing. Like I'd be yeah. more, I'd be more happy being known as, Oh, that's the guy that made the prestigious nine A's than Oh, that's Elliot Loney. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. I want to, yeah. I want to create something that, you know, can be enjoyed for generations. And I know that's like a big goal and like, it's like, it sounds ridiculous. No, and even I sound a bit, I, I feel a bit ridiculous saying it, but like I, I think that's the best use of my like unique skill set. You know what I mean? Like I don't know many people who can do all these voices and do all these characters and stuff like that. So it like having an animation where I can like explore that and like play with that and, and use what I, what I know I can do seems to me like the best use of my time and the, and the most likely chance of my success. Oh, mate, a hundred percent. And I, I know you don't believe it. Um, I know you were being humble there, and you don't believe what you're saying. Where it sounds silly because I think you've got to believe it if you want it to happen, which it will. Um, but man, I can see that happening. And and just again, I'm breaking these down into the tiniest parts here. But when you say animated series, it's basically like a cartoon animated series sort of show. Sim- like when you say Seth MacFarlane, like a Family Guy of these sort of things, you want to make an Australian version of that based on sports yeah i want to sort of make it around sport and it's interesting because recently someone actually um i think they were making a joke but they sent i've been having i got a few messages recently on instagram people sending me that new show hoops i think it is on netflix with like a basketball coach around sport like you know people being like lawsuit question mark and i'm like what like no but like you know, there are already other sports animations out there, but I, my goal was initially to be the first sort of animated sports mm. cartoon, yep. similar to yep. S- South Park or Family Guy, but sports is the main theme. Um, yeah. And I still think that that's possible, um, but I think in order to have long-term success, something that I've discovered through my journey pursuing this is I'm going to have to make it more than just AFL if I want international yeah. appeal, yeah. because as much as I love AFL and I think it'd be great to have an AFL animation, and I think it's you know pivotal pivotal for the show's success, especially here in Australia. That's I want to make the first season AFL. 
Um, I think long term, if I want to get the money that I need to actually make this thing a reality, I need to go to the US and do NFL, basketball, you know, maybe Canada, hockey, you know, all those sports that are big around the world, soccer, to try and get that international um, sort of appeal. So that's my North Star, so to speak. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. The, the, the most difficult thing is the money. Because bloody hell, animation's expensive, mate. It's yeah. a joke. <laughs> well, if we do have any cartoonists or animation uh, experts out there that do want to get involved, um, make sure you reach out to, to Elliot because that will be exciting and be a part of something special. Absolutely, mate. If there's any animators watching this right now or um, listening, please get in touch. Uh, I need you. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, uh, look, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on the show, bro. Um, it's been cool to, to find, obviously, the, the funny side, but then, obviously, I've learned a lot today about, um, about you know, your career and your pathway. And, and I just love learning from, like, setbacks um, and how, you know, you overcome things as well, bro. So thanks so much for being so honest. Thanks for sharing. Um, can't wait to see this new series come to light because I know it will. And um, can't wait for the premiere. Nah, thanks, mate. Appreciate it. And... Uh Love the podcast and uh, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends Podcast. The show is produced by Dylan Buckley and Luca Ganano. Richard Stansbury looks after the audio and editing. Samuel Kenny Creative is responsible for branding and graphic design. And the show is recorded at 3AW Studios, Collins Street, Melbourne. If you would like to contact my son, head to dylanfriends.com or look me up in the white pages and I'll pass it on. KO's got you covered for this footy season with every game of every round live and ad break free during play. AFL, here we go. Carlton versus Melbourne with no ad breaks during play. That is going to be an absolute banger. Last time these two uh, got together, well, not the last time, when I was there, I kicked three. Freer versus Swans, live with no ad breaks during play, exclusive in Victoria. And the Hawks versus Saints, live with no ad breaks during play, is going to be an absolute blockbuster. It's a must win for both of these teams. And don't forget the NBA playoffs. Gee whiz, they are going off at the moment. So many big games to mention, and they will be absolutely enthralling. Watch every game live with both Eastern and Western conferences live with ESPN on KO. There's absolutely plenty of room for everyone, so get on board with KO. Now also available on Hubble.